Hey, everybody, I just want to take a quick minute here to check in before I get started with the interview. This interview was recorded on November 18th, a few weeks ago. And in the interview, you'll be able to hear uh, the joy in our voices. It sounds like Evelyn and I are having a very normal day at school. And today, the day when I'm recording this introduction, which is Tuesday, December 7th, obviously it, it doesn't feel normal. The events of last week have taken a toll on all of us, students, educators, and parents alike. And when, when things happen in the world that I don't have control over and I have a really hard time understanding or processing or just when things hurt in a way that I'm not sure how to get through it, I often turn to poetry and poets. And so over the weekend, I was scrolling through social media. I confess, I was scrolling through social media a lot last weekend. And I came across this quote from a poet. His name is Jericho Brown. And this is the quote. If we can concentrate on the best of one another, on the best of the best of us, if we can really make the world we want to live in, even if it's only in our own heads or in our own homes or in our own cars on the way to work, then we'll be doing the beginning of something new. I love that quote. It makes me feel like I need to focus on the things that I have right in front of me. On Thursday of last week, when other school districts were closed and we were here with our students, I came home and I was absolutely exhausted. I had had a lot of really hard conversations with students. Um, a lot of students shared their very raw and honest emotions about the situation. And I, of course, myself was trying to process the events. So I came home that evening and my husband came home and he's also a teacher. And then we both realized that we still had to um, make a dinner for our children, <laughs> which, which was... I mean, it was the thought of coming up with the dinner, cooking the dinner, cleaning the dinner. Like the whole thing was so overwhelming for both of us. We couldn't do it. So we made the decision to DoorDash McDonald's. <laughs> okay. I have never DoorDashed McDonald's before. I am a very healthy mom. I am a big believer in fruits and vegetables. I do a lot of home cooking. Um, and here I was on Thursday night door dashing McDonald's. Well, of course, my children thought this was the greatest dinner of their entire lives. And they were so thrilled. My daughter had a happy meal sitting on the dining room table. She was over the moon. We ended up having this really nice, joyful meal as a family. And it felt so wonderful at the end of a really hard day. And I have to say, like, as much as I champion fruits and vegetables, nothing tasted better that night than a fountain Coke and an order of McDonald's fries. And, and my point is back to the Jericho Brown quote, my only goal is, is to be there for the people that are in front of me. And, and that may look a little different. Maybe on the surface, I am compromising my standards, but in reality, what I think I'm doing is I'm trying to be present in the way that I'm capable of in that moment. And I was so happy to be able to sit with my family that night, as I'm sure a lot of us were. 
the other thing that I, that helps me through these times or that I think about in, you know, when something happens that really hurts a lot of us is the antidote to suffering or, or the thing that always helps me get through suffering is creating through all the things I've been through in my life. I've always found that if I can create something, I am moving in the right direction. So for today, that creation comes in the form of a podcast. Thank you so much for joining as usual listeners. And I just want to try to be here for my, my own kids, my own students. And of course, I want to try to be here for my community. So let's get started. But sometimes we also have an expectation for this idea of what students should be, who they should be, and we need to care for what, who and what they actually are and how they present themselves. Hello and welcome to episode 46 of This Book Changed My Life. I'm Natalie Ford. On today's episode, I speak with Evelyn Coleman, Berkeley High School's new assistant principal. Let's get started. What's up, Evelyn Coleman? Okay, so first of all, obviously, thanks for being a part of this and taking your time, taking time out of your day. Of course. I'm going to start with a question because this is, I think, well, I don't know a lot of what you're going to say, but for everybody who's listening, I want to start with the question of um, like your journey that got you to BHS. Like, where were you? Where did you start in the world of education and how did you get here? Okay, well, um, really, education is kind of like family business. Um, I'm the daughter of two retired educators um, who retired from Detroit Public Schools after over 30 years individually um, as educators up into the role of both of them serving as at some point principals. Um, my grandfather was a teacher. So really it's kind of like the family business, the only career I, I really know. Um, and for all intents and purposes, I grew up in school. I know everybody grows up in school, but like I really grew up in school. <laughs> Half days were spent at school with my mom uh, summer vacations were spent at school with my mom. <laughs> so, uh, I literally grew up in school, so I didn't know anything else to do. And then I just happened to fall in love with it. And the other thing about education, and this is, I don't know if this answers your question or not, but I'm just going to give it is it was my mom. Then also there was a show that came out in the early 2000s called Boston Public. I'm very familiar. I'm very familiar. Okay. Like most people are like, either like, I have no idea what you're talking about. They're like, that show was amazing. Cause it was, it was really, really great. And one of the only shows that really showed to me the depths and drama that go into education. Uh, and it kind of was just like a life-changing experience for me. I was at the my senior year of high school and they were asking you to write out these essays, like, what do you want to do when you grow up? And I was watching Boston Public, I think it was every Monday or Tuesday night, like, this, I'm going to be Harry Sinnott, the character in the show, but not really Harry Sinnott, because he wasn't really the best person, but I'm going to be that teacher that changes lives. So that's essentially what got me into it. So I started off as a English teacher, um, taught English, um, all grades from 
eighth grade through 12th grade, but I really loved ninth grade and 12th grade in particular. Um, and then I became an assistant principal, uh, high school assistant principal, and I served in that capacity. And then I became a co-principal with, um, he was my partner in crime for years. I always give him credit, Mr. Brian Erickson, um, in terms of we did that, we figured out that school administration stuff together. <laughs> um, and so we, we were co-principals for four years at Chandler Park Academy and all of my experience um, of teaching um, came from Chandler Park. So I was very fortunate to be in that district for 12 years and get a lot of training and it kind of provided the foundation um, for me. But I had gotten to the point in the district of district director of teaching and learning, which was a wonderful experience, but it's very funny. Um, my husband looked at me one day and, and I was frustrated. And he said, well, what happens when your dream job is really kind of a nightmare? And I was really upset with him because I hate it when he's right. Anybody who's married know that it gets really frustrating when your spouse is right. Um, and he was right though. I really missed the interaction with students and I, I underestimated how much I would miss the, the, the personal side of education. So I, I, I'm, a, I'm a believer, so I went to my prayer closet. Um, I'm also a person that believes in practical and um, also getting therapy. So I went to my therapy as well. Um, seek help people, it's very helpful. Um, but, um, and it was like, hey, I'm gonna go seek um, a space and a place for me to get happy again and do the thing that I love. And Berkeley was it. Berkeley was really the only school district that I applied to um, for a position. And it, it went a roundabout way and I ended up back um, in high school, school leadership as an assistant principal and I couldn't be happier. Okay, so you taught, wait, Chandler Park is a charter school, is that right? Yes, yep. Okay, so, and then did, where did you, where did your parents teach or what was the name of their schools? My mom was the one who stayed in education okay. consecutively. Like she, she only was in education. Um, so she worked at Bagley Elementary, which is where I went to elementary school, which is traumatic um, to go to school where your mom is the legendary mean teacher, but she's a beautiful soul. But let me tell you something, that woman can yell. Um, but so she worked at Bagley and then she went to um, what was Paul Robeson Academy for one year, then back to Bagley. And then she finally got the promotion she had been waiting for um, all her years. And she became what was called a staff coordinator, which is essentially like an assistant principal at Cordes Elementary in Detroit. Um, from there, she went on to serve as a principal for one year at Academy of Latham Village. Um, and then she was like, okay, I'm gone. I've done my years, I'm out. <laughs> and my dad worked at Cooper Elementary on the east side. He's a native of uh, the east side of Detroit. And he worked there. Then he decided he wanted to get out of education. And he went to sales for 18 years. So for most of my life, um, I knew my dad as a, a businessman. And then he decided when I was, I think, 15 or 16, that he wanted to spend more time with us, which didn't make any sense to my, my brother and I. We had a closed door meeting. Like, did you say you needed more time with dad? Because I feel like we get all the time we need. Why are we taking this pay cut to our household? I, I, I feel good. Dad, you don't need to do this. Like, we, we love you. You have given us everything. There's no need for this pay cut. Um, but dad was not happy. So um, he, like I, and that's why he understood. He said he was such a good support for me going back. 
um, to school leadership because he was like, hey, you got to follow your heart. And he was like, I miss schools. And he always had the dream of finally becoming a principal. So he did eventually achieve that going back to teaching first at Barbara Jordan, then eventually becoming the principal at um, Academy of Oak Park Mendota and Pace Academy in Southfield. And from there, he was like, I'm retired. <laughs> oh my gosh, I have so many things I want to respond to. <laughs> it cracks me up. As a parent, you, as a parent, I always feel the pressure of like, I'm not, I'm not giving enough. I'm not spending enough time with them. And then you have the perspective of the kid who was like, no, we're good. We're good on time. Listen, my dad dropped us off to school. We had family dinner with him every night. We took family vacations. It, dad, love you. We're good. Like the Moody family, we're, we're so which funny. is my maiden name. My name, my name is uh, Evelyn Moody, uh, which there's a lot of reasons that I was really happy to get married and I had the last name Moody because I'm Moody. So it really just isn't a great to be an educator with that last name. Um, yeah. But but it was... Um, yeah, dad, my parents are always there. So it was like, you really don't need to do this for us. That's really funny. Okay, and then it also sounds like between your own childhood and then now your own career, like you've seen a lot of what I would say like different types of schools. Yeah. Like you've like seen a really wide array. Yeah. And can you can you say, this is like probably a future book that you need to write, but like <laughs> the thing that works like give me like the thing that transcends all of it that's like this is like the thing that works no matter what where you are care genuine care for the humans that are in front of you not these um fake fictional idea of what you think students are supposed to be or when i was a kid i was this person no genuine care for the product and the product unfortunately um sounds very harsh but really we need to view it that way because in every other field, if you don't make your numbers, there, it impacts you. Mm -hmm. And in education, we're just like, well, we blame, we have a tendency to put mm -hmm. a lot of blame in other places. Mm -hmm. But I think we need to look within ourselves as educators. And we do, I'm not saying this, so no educators come for me. I know that we have a lot of care that we put in, but sometimes we also have an expectation for this idea of what students should be, who they should be. And we need to care for what, who and what they actually are and how they present themselves and allow them to be that person. Um, so the one thing that I think transcends money, that transcends education, that transcends training is this genuine care um, of the students and who they are, what they are and who they want to become. I feel like that's nice to hear as a teacher like, you know, I come in some days, like, just like, do I, uh, you know, just feeling like I don't have all of it together, but I, mm -hmm. I, I can conjure that every single day. Yeah. Which is, which is nice. Yeah. I want to transition to um, like what, so you're in elementary school, your mom's there, the whole deal, but also can you talk a little bit about what type of student you were, or if you remember what type of reader you were, or like what your household kind of looked like with that? Listen, the Moody's produced scholars, you know, my parents were big on scholarship. <laughs> um, it's really funny. I always say my parents' parenting style was like a Jedi mind trick because it wasn't like a whole lot of, it wasn't like they were yelling or anything like that. It was like, so, you know, you're supposed to get good grades, right? Okay. And that, that, that was it. And so my brother and I brought home good grades. My sister was 11 years older than me, um, but she still was like, okay, there's a standard. Um, and we knew the standard. So in terms of grades, um, I was an A student. I was um, 
And I think the worst I got was in high school when I got chemistry because I don't know what chemistry is, still don't. I'm, I don't understand. Um, and I was like, C, cool. And that's the one C I've gotten. And my parents are like, just, we can't help you because we got C's in chemistry too. So, um, I, but I was an A student and um, I was an A student in college too. I was the nerd in college. I graduated with a 3.9. I was a nerd. Were you, a, um, did you read outside of class? Like, did you like to read? Oh yeah. Yeah. I love to read. I was um, from elementary school and this might be a throwback. Might be some of you all remember the scholastic like papers that yeah. you got yeah. to order 100%. books. I always ordered books, specifically um, the Boxcar Children, uh, the Babysitter's Club and Goosebumps. Those were my jam. Um, <laughs> I read them religiously. I always have books. Um, the best thing like before those family trips that we took, which is another reason why dad didn't need to leave education because we always went on family trips. <laughs> we would go to media media play um, at Tell 12, what was Tell 12 Mall, yeah, and I would yeah. go buy a book. And I would buy a book to read on the car ride because we didn't fly anywhere. We took road trips. Um, so I would read in the car, like bring three or four books and just read. Um, so yeah, I did like reading. Um, and then I went to college and of course you have to read in college a lot when you're an English major. And then I was a women's studies minor. So there was even more books. And then I became an educator and was like, well, I don't want to read anything other than what I have to teach my students this week. So I stopped reading for yeah. about 10 years. And I joined a book club with phenomenal women um, and such a diverse range of women. And they have re they revitalized my love of reading. But now I do it through Audible because time. <laughs> okay, that's really interesting that the book club revived your love of reading. And then I, I, I'm a huge fan of Audible. And I even tell my students, like, guys, I have a secret. You don't actually have to, like, look at the words on the page if you don't want to. Yeah. Magical thing called audio. Okay. So then tell us, um, what's the book that changed your life? So the book that changed my life, um, is called the blue aside by Toni Morrison. Um, if anyone's ever read it, they're probably going to be like, make, make this make sense. <laughs> um, cause it's pretty dramatic and I would give, you know, trigger warning It's very triggering for anyone that has endured, um, the life or circumstances of the characters in the, in the book. Um, but it, it really hit upon a lot of the personal things that I was feeling at the time when I read it, because it was in high school that I read it. And high school is this wonderful time of self-discovery and self-deprecation. <laughs> um, and in the African-American community, there's this big issue of colorism. And um, to anyone who cannot see me on this podcast, I am a dark, darker skin. Um, black woman. So there are beliefs and ideas that go with that. If you're a darker hue, the, the darker you are, the least attractive you are. And the main character in this book prays and desires to believe that if she has blue eyes, um, which is the epitome of beauty, she will be beautiful and her life will become easier. Um, so, a, but in the midst of, she has this traumatic, horrible home. So the unfortunate side of it is is that really between the main character, Pacola and I, I always think about if my home life had been traumatic, if I didn't have 
mom, dad, sister, brother, um, and all these other people to be there to support me, I could have been like Pakola Brila. Um, but we did have the commonality of wanting and praying to be of a different version of yourself. Um, I, in particular, wanted to be a fair complexion. I felt like I was too dark. Um, I avoided the sun because I didn't want to get any darker. And I felt that the darker you were, the least attractive you were. I mean, there's a whole gamut of, of, of information about colorism um, specifically, and not just African-American communities. There's a lot of other communities that have um, this issue of colorism. But, but it's a really, uh, it, it could be like I said, very triggering, very traumatic story, but it's beautifully written. Um, Toni Morrison is very, um, her way of putting words and creating an image in your mind and telling the story of her characters and bringing life to them, um, giving voice to them is, is so beautiful, um, but so emotional at the same time. And so the blue aside was kind of that for me. Um, in high school, identifying with Bacola in ways that most people would say, Evelyn, that doesn't make any sense. This girl's coming from an abusive home. Mm -hmm. She's coming from, you know, parents are abusive and dealing with their own struggles and their own trauma. And yet I still found myself so much identifying with this character. It just really kind of pushed me um, in a lot of ways and then actually became one of the main reasons I was a women's studies minor in college. Do you remember your, how your teacher like uh, taught the book or like were there discussions in class about it? Or I just am so interested in how that book, which is really hard, especially like, you know, a lot of people in high school aren't really yeah. like ready for it, I guess, in a lot of ways. But do you, have, do you have memories of the class or how things went for you in class? You know, funny thing is no. So um, I wasn't the best at keeping up with the readings in high school. I know all that sounds antithetical to being an A student or a B student and an English teacher, like, what, you didn't do the readings? Yeah, no. <laughs> I was in love with spark notes and click yeah, notes yeah. in high school. I still was just a kid. Um, and I don't really remember the conversation, but I remember reading that book. Um, so I didn't really tap in. It didn't stay in my mental Rolodex about the experience of in class, but I remember in college, yeah, it came back up and my advisor, um, I went to Tennessee State University in Nashville. Um, and my advisor is this, this woman who you talk about people who change your life. Dr. Samantha Morgan Curtis um, was like, this book, let's talk about it. And so I'm like, let's, yeah, let's get into it. I love this book. Like, let's, let's get into it. And she really just pushed me to that, um, to, to really just delve into it, to really tackle the themes and the symbols in it. And it really followed me throughout college because when they would ask for you to do mock lesson plans mm -hmm. um, for your classes, I always pick the blue side. So I have like thousands of lessons created <laughs> for this book that I think I only taught once. Um, but it was definitely something that just stayed with me. So I don't remember the experiences in high school when I first read it, but the, the college in college, it really came back up. And I remember those conversations and that, the, that experience. It's almost like, it's like a seed was planted is what yeah. it sounds like. And then it just like grows sort of when you pursue English and women's studies moving forward. Okay. Yeah. So you did teach the book. I did. Ooh. How did that go for you? That went. And it's one of those things that, um, 
I'm really surprised that like there weren't more moments of students having traumatic flashbacks. I mean, we don't live in a great world in a lot of different ways and a lot of the themes and the issues and situations that emerge within the book in terms of abuse and, and, um, and just rape and just those type of things are, are a lot to deal with um, in the school environment. Um, but I did my best to craft it and to create an environment in my classroom that was safe um, as much as possible for students to be able to engage in the conversation. And listen, honey, we got there. We made it through. <laughs> we made it through. Um, and then after that, we changed the curriculum and no longer was a part of the curriculum. And in some ways it was relief because also when you love something so much, you don't want others to taint it for you. Yeah. And so, you know, people, students have different thoughts of it. It's not this life-changing book for them. It's like, oh my gosh. And you're like, what do you mean? This is phenomenal. <laughs> so at least I got to protect it and it, for me. I do wonder, um, like now when you look at the bluest eye, because I, I know that when I started in the teaching game, it was a big, it was a big title and the same yeah. thing in college. It just had like this really strong presence with a lot of her other stuff. Do you, when you think about like the English curriculum, do you see a place for it? Like, do you have an opinion on where it belongs now? It belongs in the safest space. Okay. With the most Tell sensitive. me more. Uh-huh. Like, tell me more when you say it belongs in the safest space. So without giving too much, because I want for people to be like, what is this? Book yeah, that yeah, for sure. For sure. Talking about, yeah. <laughs> let me go get it. Um, but I want to also say, once again, trigger warning. Right. <laughs> um, but I think that you have to be able to foster an environment first where students feel like we can, we can have these conversations. Your voice will be heard. Um, but also a space that if they need to deal with the emotions of anything that has presented within the book, mm -hmm. that they know that there are resources with not just within my classroom, but within the school environment that they can go to get that. You need to have students who are um, forward thinking enough, mature enough at the moment to have it. So every, I, I don't think there's an answer of every ninth grader or every 10th mm -hmm. grader, or every 11th grader mm -hmm. needs to experience this book because especially right now, still in the midst of this pandemic panorama that we're a part of right now, I don't necessarily say that everybody mentally and emotionally is in a space to receive some of the things within this book. So we need to be cognizant of that. We need to be aware that um, just because it's a great piece of literature, just because it's a part of someone's literary canon, doesn't mean that the, the students are ready to receive it at this time. Um, because like I said, we need to be sensitive to where people are emotionally, and there are a lot of topics to address. Um, I also say that whoever reads it needs to be very mindful of a lot of the things within there. I mean, colorism is a thing. Um, I think that sometimes, and my friends, my friends and I talk about this openly, um, some people pull it out of their pocket. Uh, sometimes it's like, yeah, that wasn't really colorism. Um, and then there are other times where it needs to be discussed it, and we need to acknowledge that people are in that space where they may not feel no matter how many times you say oh your skin is beautiful or oh you're but you're so pretty um that they're not struggling with the topics of that and that they overall just desire to be someone besides themselves and right now i think there are a lot of students in that struggle whether it be because of sexual identity um whether it be just you know financial hardships 
a lot of people are in a place where they want to be someone besides themselves. And I think that um, right now there is no one classroom, one grade level that I think this book belongs. Um, I think it's a personal choice to really decide, okay, I'm open and ready because you got to protect your peace. And I think in school, we need to work on protecting our peace and protecting the peace of our students as much as we can, especially right now. Yeah, I mean, amen. I mean, the the thing about, one thing that like the, what's the word I'm looking for? Like the thesis of what you're saying is like, this book is so powerful, right? Yeah. And it is, but it's also like, look, we need to be careful of where we set this because yeah. it's powerful in, in a lot of different ways. It's powerful in its sense of being able to, like you said, speak to this idea of wishing you were someone else, but there's also a lot more there that mm -hmm. you you're saying you can't just unleash on everybody. No, no, you can't just open the door like, okay, guys, right. having a rough right. week. Cool. Let's just blow the whole thing up. No, right. don't do that. <laughs> my, right. my door as an assistant principal would be banging off the, the poor counselors wouldn't know what to do <laughs> because yeah. this would just be too much. And then um, also, if, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. No, that was just, it would just be too much if, if not set in the right way. And then you said this other thing that I just found so interesting, which was like protecting the peace of the student. And oh my goodness, I've never, I, I think if you would have said that to me in any other year, I would have been like, <laughs> come on, like, you know, we all have to, whatever. I would, right. I'm, right, exactly. I would have some <laughs> dumb response to that. Yeah. But I think this year, I, I like feel that so much that like, what is this place that we want to give them, right? Like we got it taken away for a year. And now that we're all back, like, what do we want to do here? And um, man, that's, yeah. big, that's gonna sit with me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna meditate on that. Listen, carry that one with you. Take that little gem. Cause I got it, I would love to take credit for it, but um, I got that from, once again, therapists, they help y'all. Um, uh, and she, and it was about good news I wanted to share, but everybody wasn't happy for my good news. And so she said, protect your peace. She oh. said, share your news when and how you want to share your news. And in all honesty, it's become a lifestyle. So if I, yes, I want to maybe share this good news, but if everybody in this setting isn't going to be happy for me, I'm protecting my peace. I'm protecting my happiness. I'm not telling you. <laughs> um, you know, if I, if I want to go to an event that makes me happy, if I want to take that nap that I, I want to take, I'm going to protect my peace at this moment. Um, if I need to take that phone call later, even though I know I need to get to it, but I'm going to take it later, protect your peace. We got We have a lot of things coming at us right now. And I think that it's important for us to, when we can, um, because there's so much that we have to do when you can have some choice for how you want to maintain your sanity, your happiness, your joy, um, do it. Put a little bow around it and protect that, like put it on the shelf um, because it, it's matter. It definitely matters. Um, so as we close the interview, like my two big takeaways, like other than all this really great information I got about you and how you got here is the first thing of like caring for students, right? Like at the foundation of everything that we can all do every day, but we can't get there if as teachers, we're not like protecting our own peace and coming at it right. as a whole sort of like a, a whole person, right? That we have to make sure we're not fragmented or frustrated or sort of all over the place. And we achieve that by protecting our peace. Mm -hmm. 
all these things about education, I swear, like I just got to in the, in this, in the <laughs> two years, but it's really like the, the most, I mean, I'm sure I was there in some capacity before, but just really foundational elements, like take it back. It's like been all been stripped down now. So we take it back yeah. like it's most simplistic form, but um, I love those two big takeaways. Okay. So thank you so much, Evelyn, for joining oh. me. I'm going to hit um, stop recording in just a sec, but I want you to stay on. But on behalf of me and our and our listening community, it was great to, to learn more about you. So we really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And, you know, hopefully I don't taint anyone's view. 